Uh, thanks for that reading. Uh, but I want us to begin uh, with a game. Uh, it's a very simple game. Uh, it's, it's not that exciting. It's a, <laughs> it's a sermon game. It's called Simon Says. You know Simon Says? This is how it goes. Simon Says, stand up. Uh, if I say Simon Says, you have to do it. If I don't say Simon Says, then you don't. So Simon Says, put your hands in the air. Uh, put your hands down. See, you're supposed to leave them up. See? Okay. That's how it goes. Simon Says, put your hands down. Simon Says, nod your head. Simon Says, stop nodding your head. Simon Says, change your heart. Oh. All of you are out. Simon says, sit down. <laughs> that for me is the, is the heart of the challenge in this passage. And, and in one sense, the heart of the challenge of all of the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus is calling us to nothing less than a, than a transformed heart. Uh, verse 24 is the promise that this whole, or, or the, the, the basis of this whole passage, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money and here of course Jesus is not just talking about cash he's talking about wealth all the things that go to make up our our wealth uh, in the in the words of uh, verse 19 we're talking about the treasures of this earth the things that you can buy the things that you can stockpile the things we can set our hearts upon. The problem is, how do you change your heart? How do we change our heart to be the sort of heart that, that is drawn and captivated by the things of the earth to a heart that is drawn and captivated by the things of God? Changing a heart is not as simple as just following an instruction as in a Simon Says game. And certainly changing a heart has got to be more difficult than just having the right knowledge. Because after all, verse 19 is not new. I want to suggest that I, I don't that doubt that there is anybody here who finds Jesus' words in verse 19 sort of revolutionary. Moth and vermin consume, thieves break in and steal. That's what happens to the stuff that we have. Computers become obsolete, houses burn to the ground, stock prices tumble, but still we work to amass all of these things. You know, I was giving a children's talk in, in church once on this passage, and, uh, and so I had my props, you know. So I had, I had uh, these, these things that, that were sort of meant to look like diamonds and things. They actually look like really plastic trays, really. But in the end, uh, they, were, they were God's precious jewels and I had written on them, you know, things like, you know, love and friendship and kindness and goodness and generosity, okay? They're the treasures of heaven. And then had the, the treasures of earth and had pictures of like a car and, and a stereo and uh, I don't know what else, a house, you know? And I asked the kids, which treasures do you want? And they're saying, I want the car, I want the house. And I think, yeah, I know that you do, but you know what happens is that the cars crash. And I screwed up the picture. It's now this screwed, mangled picture. So, you know, houses burned down. I would have liked to have lit the paper, but, you know. <laughs> I tore holes in it, you know. So now, which, to, which of the treasures do you want? And, of course, you know what happens. The kid in the front row, I still want the car. <laughs> and it's true, isn't it? Because I still want the car. Do you have buyer's remorse, shopper's remorse? You know, you go buy something and, and, and you're so looking forward to it and how much more fulfilled I'm going to be, how much happier I'll be after I buy this thing and bring it home and I do the unboxing 
<laughs> That's why it's slightly disappointing. But it doesn't stop me going back again. There's nothing new in verse 19. This is what our hearts are like. And you could say that, that God's sort of to blame here. Because it's a little bit rich, isn't it, to, to challenge us against materialism when material things was God's idea in the first place. God has made this to be a very good world and has given us good things to enjoy. You know, Madonna turns out to be a theologian. We are living in a material world and I'm a material girl. This is what <laughs> life is like for us. You know, we... we we get to enjoy the good and, and, and generous gifts of a good and generous God. There are good and beautiful things in this world. The challenge, of course, is will we trust the creator or his creation? How do we live with more but not give our hearts to having more? How can we recognise wealth as a great servant without making wealth our master. Because Jesus' point, of course, is, is that when push comes to shove, then one will have to give way. What will be our master? If you get a tax return, what, what will that money get spent on? Will we, will we uh, decide to throw it all onto the, you know, the latest, brightest, shiniest consumer good that uh, we have our eye on? Or will we give it to supporting Christian ministry or aid and development work? The question, what do you do when you're sad? When the going gets tough, the tough go shopping? Or do we spend time in, in, in prayer and reflection on God's word and in the fellowship of God's people. The kicker of the question for me as a parent is, uh, what do we desire for our children? Is it the most important thing that our children get the best education so that they can have every opportunity in life? They're able to learn the violin and the flute and French horn and speak French and German and Japanese and play netball and soccer and have everything that the world can provide? Or is it that we need to make sure that they're spending time uh, with God, fellowship of God's people, learning from him, growing in faith and faithfulness? How do we develop this heart? How do we develop this new heart that loves the things of God and the treasures of his kingdom naturally, chooses those things naturally over the things of this earth? What Jesus recognises in this passage, the good news is that our hearts are attached to our bodies. And he says two very helpful things. We can change our hearts by choosing what we treasure and by watching what we watch. Okay? Verse 21, your heart follows your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, careful that you notice the order in which Jesus speaks about your heart and your treasure. Because I think that we often expect Jesus to say the opposite. You know, where your, where, where your heart is, uh, that's where you can tell what somebody is treasuring. Okay? And, and that's true, you know, sort of the, when you think about what somebody's values are, they're sort of demonstrated or displayed in the particular treasures that they gather around them. But I think Jesus is saying something a little bit more profound than that. 
Not just that the things that you have reveal your heart, but the things that you choose to treasure will shape and direct our heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the implication is that one way that we can begin to change our heart is by changing the things that we choose to treasure. Yeah? I'll tell you about a friend of mine called Peter who um, uh, decided one day back in 1974, I think it was, that he would no longer call his wife by her, her, her name, her personal name, Helen. Thing was that for 15 years before, uh, Peter had given his heart to his work. And over those 15 years, he'd realised that he had gradually lost his faith, but also uh, almost lost his wife. It came to the point when he was on his uh, deathbed, literally, uh, in St George Hospital uh, in Sydney. He said he knew enough about camping and outdoor ed stuff to know that when your fingernails have gone blue uh, as a result of an asthma attack, that you're pretty much done. And then when you hear the doctor say to your wife, there's nothing that we can do anymore. It was literally that moment of making deals with God. And he resolved again that he'll give his heart to God and also that he'll give his heart to his wife. And he knew he needed to win his wife back. He knew he needed to re-treasure his wife. And so he decided he would no longer use her name, he would, he would use terms of endearment. And so from that time on, he's, he's referred to his wife in conversation as my love, darling, honey. He says the thing was that, that at first it was very awkward because she wasn't his love. She, she had no longer been his treasure. But he wanted to train his heart. He wanted a, a, a transformed heart. So he chose to re-treasure things not no longer his job but now his wife will we choose to treasure things differently will we choose to to uh, treasure the things that jesus calls us to treasure set our values based on the things that jesus says to us rather than believing the advertisers you know we know that our world has sort of reversed all the price tags that all the things that, that, that are valuable in this world, these false gods of money and sex and power have been valued so highly above humility and, and service and kindness. And least of all, valued the promises of God in the gospel and faithfulness to him. We need to train our hearts by choosing our treasure and we choose our treasure by watching what we watch verse 22 jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body and here he's uh he's uh, uh showing that he that he's part of the ancient world and how they believe that sight worked you know how do you actually how are we actually able to see things as human beings and what they believed was that there was a there, were, there was light that came from your eyes 
And that's how you saw things. Of course, you know, that would mean that you're able to see at night and they're not that stupid. So the, the theory was that there was this combination of the light that came out of your eyes that uh, reacted with the light that was sort of reflected off things from the sun and from candles and things. And that's how we got vision. And we know that's not true. That's not how vision actually works. But that was the idea. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This sense that the eyes, the lamp of the body, what his point is that, that our sight can control so much of our heart. What we look at, what we fill our vision with, shapes our heart, shapes the course of our life. We learn to love the things that we pay close attention to, is what Jesus is saying. And so I've got to ask, what do you spend time looking at? And I've got to challenge us with the warning to be careful about what you look at online. Because the internet is filled with images that target our desires, that capture our hearts. Now, I know that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, particularly being here in chapel, but we've got to expose these things. These things that we've got to be careful that we don't fill our eyes with. And this. And this. We even call it food porn. <laughs> and this. You know? Our world is full of images that are designed to capture your heart. Have you seen the latest Mercedes ad on television? When the things that you desire, you know, you begin to see them everywhere. And so everywhere this person looks, they see the Mercedes star because this is what they desire. This is what the, uh, the whole sort of economy is built on. The opposite of contentment and thankfulness, it's all about discontent and desire for more. That's why the TV show is not called Mostly Adequate Homes and Gardens. <laughs> this is the world that we live in. We're surrounded by it. We need to be careful what we watch, what we fill our vision with, because it shapes our heart. Let's fight back against our culture. The Canadian pastor Mark Buchanan, who wrote a classic article in uh, Christianity Today back in the late 90s, it's called Trapped in the Cult of the Next Thing. That's how he describes Western consumerism, the cult of the next best thing. Where our vision is always being drawn, our hearts are being drawn to the next greatest, best thing, whatever it is. How do we fight back against that sort of world? He gives us uh, three directions. He starts with thankfulness. So if we begin with thankfulness, what we see is that, that what we have is good. What we have is good. Perhaps we need that discipline of thankfulness. Not just saying grace before each meal, which is good, but uh, sometimes feels like it's just become a bit of a, a, an empty ritual because it hasn't really uh, accomplished that goal of making me thankful for everything. I know I'm not allowed to eat until I've said grace, but I'm still grumpy and grouchy and whingy about things. 
Maybe a discipline of each day before I go to bed, listing five things that I'm thankful for. And it can't be the same as yesterday. Particularly when your heart is being seduced and enticed by other things. With thankfulness, we might then move on to contentment. What we have is good and what we have is enough. You know, I saw on the news uh, the other night that on average, the average Australian owns 104 items of clothing that we never wear. We spend $1.7 billion a year on clothes that stay in the wardrobe. Not only that, Australians throw out 20% of the food that we buy. Each year we spend $8 billion on edible food that we throw in the bin. So we have a problem with contentment. So what can we do to fight back? Will we perhaps make a, a resolution, we will eat the leftovers uh, in, the, in the fridge. I will cook whatever is available to cook in the pantry. I will decide that I own enough shoes. I will commit to not upgrading my computer for at least another 12 months. What are the practices of contentment? If we recognise that what we have is good, so that we might then realise that what we have is enough, then it's perhaps not a too large a step to realise that what we have is too much. And we might be generous. Thankfulness, contentment, generosity. Three gifts of grace. Three acts of faith. We know that there are wonderful treasures in the world that we've been given, that God has given us to enjoy. Jesus doesn't call us to give it all up. He just says, don't make it our master. So when our hearts are being captured, what we need is a more captivating vision. So rather than filling our vision with earthly treasures, will we fill our vision with Jesus and his kingdom? And we look to Jesus and we ask of his life, was this the kind of life that was true of him? Did Jesus live a life that sought praise from other people? Did Jesus store up for himself treasures on earth? Did Jesus attempt to serve both God and wealth? And of course the answer is no, he didn't do any of those things. And how did things turn out for him? Well, in one respect, not great. But of course we're, we're, we're resurrection people. We're Easter people. We've pinned our hopes uh, to this truth. That what we see in in Jesus is, is life as, of, as it was always meant to be lived. This life of abundance that God had always intended uh, for us. Jesus says that in contrast to the treasures that are before our eyes, there are things that we can't see that outshine them all. Jesus says that in contrast to gaining the praise of others, there's a far greater reward from our Father who sees what is done in secret. And Jesus says that in contrast to stockpiling physical treasures, there are far greater treasures in heaven. And so again, this passage asks us, do we trust him? Will we put our faith 
in him. As I was preparing uh, uh, this sermon to preach at my church uh, a couple of weeks ago and as I've been reflecting on it again for this morning, there's been the chorus of, a, of an old hymn has been rolling around in my head and I suspect you could do worse than have this uh, on replay in your head in the week to come. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen.